Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. Hello, you are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I am the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So, if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place, and welcome. Okay, today I am really excited because on One Broken Mom, I have with me Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Dr. Gibson is a clinical psychologist with a private practice that specializes in psychotherapy for adult children of emotionally immature parents. She is the author of the book, Who You Were Meant to Be, and writes a monthly column for Tidewater Magazine. In the past, she has served as an adjunct assistant professor of graduate psychology for the College of William Mary, as well as for Old Dominion University. Currently, she's working on a follow-up to the book we're going to talk about here today, which is Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents. Welcome, Dr. Gibson. Hi. Thank you for having me, M.A. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for over a month because I think you and I talked sometime in late June, I believe it was, and you were in the throes of yeah. editing for your new book. So we got you. So I'm <laughs> right. like, oh my gosh. Um, well, I, I landed on your book doing a whole ton of research and reading at the end of 2017. And I just, you know, I described this process as kind of traveling through the rabbit hole. You know, you find something and you start pulling a, a thread and it leads you down there. And, um, and through the course of research, um, came into your book, The Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And my copy of it sitting here in front of me is like highlighted, like one of my engineering textbooks, like everything in there just was like, oh, oh gosh, oh wow. my gosh. So it was, an, it's, oh, been an, wow. it's been an important piece of like my own life and my, you know, my reparenting and rehealing and stuff like that. And so having you here with me to talk about it, it is powerful for me, mm-hmm. but I know the impact it had on me. It's going to be really powerful for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm just blessed that you're here. Um, so oh, thank you so much. And I, I feel blessed to be here and I, I love your word reparenting because that's kind of um, the name of the game. When you have these parents, you end up uh, needing to reparent yourself, which fortunately can be done. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted that the, that the book was helpful to you, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Awesome. Well, tell everybody where the idea for the book came from. Well, I'm a psychotherapist. I do adult individual psychotherapy, and I've been doing it for a long time. Um, and what I noticed was that as people were telling me about their parents, it clicked for me that they were describing people that were actually childlike in the way that they were dealing with my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, mm, that's a three-year-old behavior or uh, that parent is not really angry at them. That's 
separation anxiety. You know, so so even though I knew a lot about emotional immaturity, at, you know, at that point and doing psychodiagnostics and testing and that kind of thing, and I had uh, done a fair amount of that with children, so I was really up on my developmental psychology. It wasn't until I was having a session with uh, a patient one day, and it just hit me. It's like, their parents are like children, mm-hmm. and my patient is the one who is the mature one. My patient is the one who's showing forbearance and thinking before she's speaking and has the capacity for attachment and can take responsibility and, you know, on down the list. And when I began to share that with my clients, this idea that their parents were emotionally immature and that maybe it wasn't them, you know, maybe it wasn't the patient's problem. Maybe they were dealing with people that were very hard to deal with. It lifted this sense of blame and inadequacy that a lot of my patients had had, you know, that they, they got so frustrated with their parents or they couldn't make their parents love them or they could never do enough for their parents. So they were kind of chronically guilty. Mm -hmm. So it was just noticing these stories that people were telling about their families and just having the penny drop uh, from child development over to adult psychotherapy that we were talking about emotional immaturity. Yeah. And it's, and that's probably the, when I read the book, that was the astonishing piece of it was, and and it changes your perspective. Then when you start to view other people around you and you go, I, now I understand, you know, I I found for Mm -hmm. myself, it gives me um, almost, I mean, it enhances my empathy for others because I can look and go, Mm -hmm. now I know what's going on here by having this language and stuff that your, that your book um, revealed. Right. Um, Right one of the major impacts that you've seen in people who grew up with emotionally immature parents is um, this thing that you call this feeling of emotional loneliness. Can you tell us more about Mm -hmm. what that is? Yeah, I sure can. And, and I, I bet a lot of people resonate with it. Um, Emotional loneliness is this feeling that people have kind of in their core that they don't have the amount of secure connection um, that some part of them knows that they need. So there's like a little part of the self that continues to feel lonely, even as they may be interacting with other people or, you know, putting on a, a good face or being effective at work. There can be these periods, maybe not all the time, but you can get triggered into this kind of, um, it's a very um, it's a very lonely feeling like you're all alone in the world and you can't you don't have anybody that you feel like you have a really good connection with and this emotional loneliness comes from uh, this is how I understand it anyway um, it comes from having a parent who wasn't able to really make that deep emotional connection when you're very small in a way that makes you feel like somebody's got you, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like this person sees you, they understand you. Um, you come first, they're on your side. Uh, no one will split you up. Um, they'll always protect you. Those feelings are things that emotionally immature parents, really have trouble going to if they can at all 
And once they get in that place, they don't stay there long because they're frightened by it. They're frightened by the intimacy of it. So it ends up leaving people growing up with, with this little lonely place inside of them and thinking that there's something the matter with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really, I think, um, really cool about that word that you used earlier, Amé, uh, reparenting is that you can begin to, if you realize that's what's going on, that this was something that was not inherent to you, but this was a an artifact of a relationship with a parent that couldn't really connect with you at a heart level. If you understand that's what it is, then you can reparent yourself and you can get that heart connection back with yourself and your inner world. And that's, that's, kind of the healing that needs to occur from that when you have that solid relationship with yourself then you can go on to have more intimate relationships with other people and you can get over that emotional loneliness yeah and i know it's hard like from doing this myself and and going through and i i'm a huge advocate for therapy you know and that's that's part of like what i feel my message is here with in my mission with one broken mom is to remove the stigma of reaching out for somebody to help guide you through that process because it's yeah. it, it's really hard to get that just by reading a book i mean your book is fantastic but i think as a clinical psychologist you also know that a book kind of should go hand in hand with having a personal relationship with a therapist who can get you through there because I know in the oh, past, absolutely. Yeah, because in the past, we tend to fill that loneliness by just putting a surrogate person in that place. It might be the next boyfriend, right. girlfriend, wife, and that's not really repairing it, right? No, right. And, and of course, uh, you know, it's, it's like that children's book. The little bird goes around saying, are you my mother? <laughs> um, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to repair the, um, the thing that you didn't get by, you know, hoping that you get lucky enough with the next person that you have an attachment with. But yeah, but by doing the work on yourself and by understanding what happened to you and its effect on yourself and doing that in a relationship in which that kind of um, reparenting is helped along because the therapist keeps pointing you in that direction. Uh, that's that's really what is needed. I I see myself as offering the ideas and the language, like you said, so that you have the concepts and you have the words that will enable you to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this, I don't think has been talked about in quite this way. So by having the language and having the concept, then when you go to therapy, you really have a head start on kind of understanding what you're there to fix. Um, and you can zero in, uh, I think after reading a book like mine or while you're reading a book like mine, you can zero in on kind of what one of the main problems might be. But yeah, I'm all in favor of um, having a therapist that can help you with the relationship part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm a huge advocate for it because it is, it really is when you start to, to fill that in and understand it. Um, there's also these feelings as a person who's going through it of a little bit of anger of like, why do I have to do this? <laughs> you know, why, mm-hmm. why me? Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've said this before, like, you know, you have this, you're sitting there going, 
I'm not a bad person. Why do I have to learn how to reparent myself? And sometimes people just don't want to do it or they don't realize how hard it can be, how emotionally painful it can be, especially if you're a feeling person to have to restore, right. you know, that missing pieces of you inside. And it's, it doesn't just yeah. happen overnight. It goes up and down, take one step forward, two step back sometime. And that's why, like I said, counselors and therapists are there, you know, sometimes mine just hugs me, you know, and just says, you're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what are, you know, for emotionally immature parents, what are some of the common characteristics of the emotionally immature parent? Well, if you think about little kids, um, they start out pretty, um, pretty uh, uh, uncomplicated. Uh, they want what they want. They express their feelings. They're very impulsive. Um, things are great. Things are horrible. Uh, they're happy. They're desperate. <laughs> and so if you just think about little kids, how uh, their little personalities aren't quite formed. Um, so they, they tend to be very general, very reactive. Um, things are very black and white and they're pretty simple. Um, in other words, they have characteristics that tend to be, um, kind of all or nothing. In other words, they're, you know, they're very happy or, uh, it's the end of the world, very extreme emotional states. And they're not, if you think of them as like a bag of marbles, okay, none of those marbles is a part of any other marble. And they go in and out of these different little states where, you know, now I'm happy, now I'm sad, now I love you, now I hate you. Um, now I want to do this, now I want to do that. So they're, they're quite simple inside and none of these marbles are hooked up with each other Hmm. that's why they can move from one state to another and if you say well wait a minute 10 minutes ago you did this and they'll be like well that was then and this is now because in the emotionally immature state you live in the eternal now so don't ask me to be accountable for what I did you know uh, two days ago because now I've moved on and you should accept me where I am right this second and don't be a bad sport about holding it against me what I did two days ago because now we're not there anymore so Mm -hmm. it this is a very young state of mind yeah and (laughs) it's also it's it's also very Mm non-empathic because because they lack inner complexity, because the red marble doesn't know what the blue marble's doing and it doesn't remember what it did, they don't have a way of putting themselves into another person's psyche to kind of guess how they're feeling or how things will affect them. And plus, to them, it's not really relevant because they're extremely self-preoccupied. Um, they're, the way I look at it, it's not, it's not like what we think of in common parlance as narcissistic, like Mm -hmm. that they think they're so great and they're self-centered because they think they're so great. It's more like a lot of these parents, if not all of them, usually have a great degree of some kind of wounding in their background, like their relationship with their parents wasn't so great. Um, they didn't get to develop themselves. Uh, they had trauma in their background. 
And so they're like wounded souls that, that have to keep checking themselves. Like, am I comfortable? Am I okay? And this makes them extremely self-preoccupied. And they really can't take in your problems, too. Mm-hmm. So they're not very empathic and they are not self-reflective. So when you try to talk to them to say, you know, mom, this is how this made me feel. What they're experiencing is, oh, is she criticizing me? Well, wait a minute. I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they go immediately into defense when you think that hopefully they're going to be able to listen to your feelings and then you'll be able to have this intimate conversation and and make things better, but they're not really able to do that. And then the other thing is that because they're uncomplicated and because they're uh, not hooked up well inside, they have very low stress tolerance. So they tend to be impulsive they tend to say things without thinking. They tend to do things without thinking. And if you call them on it, they might say things like, well, that's just the way I am. Or, um, uh, you know, something, something that excuses the behavior without any reflection on, huh, maybe I should look at trying to change that. And they also, another thing they do is, besides being defensive, um, they tend to rush a lot. Uh, they, they just can't stand um, tolerating stress for very long. So they, they're often quite uncomfortable to be around uh, because of that, um, that uncomfortableness that they have in their own psyche. Mm-hmm. And they're very inconsistent and contradictory too, because if you think about the marbles in the bag, um, you know, I can be this way under these conditions and this other thing over here. So they're, they can be very puzzling and confusing to deal with. And that can be as a little kid while well, that's your parenting yeah. around there. That leaves a kid spinning out of control because they don't know which parent they're. Yes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And so their kids become really, you know, kind of hyper vigilant, feeling like they've got to watch out and read mom or dad's mood. Because, uh, you know, things can go really bad if they're not kept calm. Mm-hmm. Now, you said it's not like narcissism, but yet it sounds sometimes like sometimes an emotionally immature parent can be narcissistic, though. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I, I look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I look at it like you can have an underlying disorder, you know, um, and then you can have all these different symptoms. But what do they all have in common? That's what I was going for. Um, Like things like narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, um, number of personality disorders, antisocial personality disorder. Yeah, you can have all those symptomatic um, kind of syndromes, but what they all have in common will be uh, these emotionally immature traits. Mm -hmm. And you can also have people that are relatively mild on that spectrum. So, you know, they, they look normal, um, they uh, go to work, they, they have, you know, a quote-unquote, you know, good family, but you start looking at the quality of the emotional relationships, and that's where you really see it. Yeah, and, and that was what I, I, I'm glad you touched on that, because, the, you know, like we had talked earlier, the emotionally immature parent isn't what you think in terms of a kid who's like Peter Pan or, you know, just that, that mm-hmm. you know, 
they're just lacking just a piece of it that's different, but they might be well-educated, you know, very, you know, very oh, well-liked yeah. in their church, you know, or any mm-hmm. number of really positive social characteristics, but there are just aspects to them that, that are critical to that emotional development of a child that they just, they, they can't, they can't deal with and don't know how to deal with it and kind of bail, you know, when, when things happen. Um, yeah. So- and I, I'm so glad that you put it that way um, because a lot of times there's terrific confusion, you know, like in the people that come to me for psychotherapy because they'll say, well, you know, my parents were really good to me or I had a great childhood or, you know, when I was sick, they would buy me whatever I wanted. (laughs) But when you get down to, yeah, the quality of the emotional connection and the feeling seen and feeling um, supported, that's that's where uh, the problem is. Right. And, and growing up without that, um, that stability, you know, planted in your brain as you're, as you're developing. So um, what kinds of problems then do you see in adults um, that they have in their lives as a result of having emotionally immature parents? Well, um, one of them is, of course, the emotional loneliness that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of uh, unpredictability or um, the emotionality that they grow up with while lacking the underlying security of, of a close connection with their parent, that's really, uh, that's a ripe field for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, depression, uh, lots of times depression's coming up because uh, you don't have your needs met, your emotional needs met, and yet everyone around you is acting like everything's fine and what's wrong with you that you aren't happy. We Mm -hmm. just, you know, bought you that new whatever. Um, It's very confusing why Mm -hmm. you should be so empty inside Um, because these emotionally immature people, they don't have an emotional uh, language. They, they don't talk about these issues as if they're real, but they are, you know, and, and we feel it. We just, may not know what it's about. So that's that really uh, is fertile ground for these kind of um, more vague uh, problems like anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you have the problem with relationships because when people grow up with emotionally immature parents, um, they learn to um, take care of other people's emotions and they learn to put themselves on a back burner and make it all about the other person. Uh, they are unfortunately overly comfortable with non-empathic, self-absorbed people. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels like home to them. And a lot of the people that I see are coming in, you know, kind of midlife, and they may be uh, in the middle of a divorce or a relationship problem where they're really starting to understand what what happened that they signed up for a relationship that wasn't emotionally rewarding. And that's, and then that becomes, you know, very uh, productive to work back through the kind of relationship modeling they had between themselves and their parent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's probably the yellowest highlighted part of the book for me in that section (laughs) of it. Um, And it made a lot because my, the first time I encountered, um, a, a relationship where I had to um, be put in a position to tolerate some of the, the aspects of this. It was actually in business. And then, and then it, it grew into the next romantic relationship was of that nature. 
And, and then of course, when both of those just kind of like didn't work, you know, uh, you know, I did a lot of the self-reflection on me and, and definitely, like I said, that's where your book kind of got me to a place of understanding kind of where the roots of all that, that was. Um, and, and you mm-hmm. spend uh, like an entire chapter in your book call, talking about the internalizer, which, you know, is honestly, mm-hmm. it's, it's a sad chapter because it just, you know, you're talking about people, like you said, that are trained to never ask for help when they need it. And they'll tolerate, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, intense levels of emotional abuse because to them, that's just how life is with people we love. And mm-hmm. I know that that's the adult, you know, I had grown up into and, and, you know, now I'm trying to, to fix that person. Um, but mm-hmm. I, for me, and I, I bet this is the same with some of your, your patients is that I definitely had this, this need for an emotional connection. And so, you know, I viewed my kind of emotional, you know, thing as like a pendulum sometimes because of that, not feeling heard, understood, regarded, you know, from the emotional immaturity, mm-hmm. you know, I swung towards the unhealthy end of narcissism at times, you know, when I got angry defensive mm-hmm. or whatever, but that empathy, that wanting that connection and understanding people would kind of pull me back into it. Um, and so I feel like right. that you know, that whole chapter on internalizer really meant a lot to me there. What else do you notice about these people who you call the internalizers that are um, these, uh, these children of these, of these types of parents? Yeah. Well, the, um, y- you know, children have to have a connection with their parent. I mean, that is their number one job. Um, you know, and this goes back to caveman times. Um, if you don't have a connection with your parent, if they're not looking out for you, you are not going to make it. I mean, mm-hmm. human beings have a very long period of helpless dependency. And so children, uh, you know, the, the children that made it um, are ones that manage to bring themselves into as close a relationship with their parents as they can. So some of them do this by... Uh, getting the attention, like let's say they have an emotionally immature parent who's who's not paying all that much emotional attention to them that's not as connected as they really need to be to make the child feel secure. Some kids, I uh, call them externalizers, they just start acting out. I mean, there's no way the parent can ignore them because they're always in trouble or they're always doing something. And so the parent is forced into engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those kids tend to be more impulsive and they just look at the externals. But there's another type of kid, the internalizer, what I call the internalizer, um, that basically I think they start out neurologically probably. Um, there's even a little bit of research to support this. They start out more sensitive and more perceptive. In other words, they see, they actually see more. They've done experiments with babies. They see more than the average baby. Mm-hmm. They respond and react quicker and with more intensity than the average baby. So these very sensitive, perceptive kids, they have another way of dealing with the parent who's not as involved as they should be. They kind of figure out how to um, become valuable to that parent. Like they become sensitive to the parent or they watch and notice, you know, this is not a good time to ask for what I want. Um, so they begin to adapt and adjust around the parent by internalizing their own feelings. They, they don't, you know, scream and yell and demand like the externalizer. 
they just kind of figure out what I what do I got to do to be loved by mom and dad, mm-hmm. and they do that, and that that sort of uh, and then because they're sensitive and they're perceptive, they can be self reflective. Uh, they can think about what they're doing. They can think before they act. Um, these are all wonderful strengths for any adult. So they they tend to be more mature in their functioning when they grow up too. Um, but it really, wow, the toll it takes on them, mm-hmm. uh, the internal suffering, the um, the amount of loneliness that they can feel because they're really like little adults. They're parenting themselves and then they're parenting the parents so the parents can be a little more nurturing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, I just have such sympathy for them because so many of the people that come in for psychotherapy, as you can imagine, are the internalizers. Yeah. Yeah. So and I that's have why a, I, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said it's, it, it is, it's a sad chapter to see that, that the adaptation that adults, that some adults deal with. And then, and then you just get to a point in life where you're like, I, I can't do this anymore, you know, and I, I, I mm-hmm. contemplate, I have no research to back this up, but, you know, I look at numbers and statistics and I think that, you know, when we talk about suicide rates, you know, peaking for men, like in their forties and fifties, it's like, you know, or how many of them have internalized so much that they haven't been able to let go. And you did just, you know, you become yeah. and stuff. Um, so right. you have in your book, uh, four main types of parents. Can you, can you tell us who they are? I mean, and I know that this doesn't fit everybody and it's not going to be like an absolute, right. but you've been able to kind of chunk them into four main categories of the emotionally immature parent. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. These are, these are chunks. These, <laughs> these are not diagnostic categories right, yeah. and they're, they're not, uh, you know, comprehensive, but it's kind of what I've noticed. Um, the first type is the emotional type and this is the parent who just um, goes off the deep end about the least little thing. They're very, very emotionally reactive, um, often quite infantile. Their feelings completely rule them. And in the most severe cases, these are people who tend to be more like um, borderline personality disorders where they're, they're um very uh, extreme in their emotional reactions. They're extremely hard for a kid to deal with because they just are driven by emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, another type is the driven parent. This is the one that sort of looks like the perfect mom or is like the runs the perfect house or is the perfect volunteer, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they look like they have it all together but lots of times their goals and their um, missions that uh, that they're doing get in the way of them slowing down long enough to connect with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so they look great on the outside. They're involved in a lot of stuff, but they may not have that quiet center that allows them to empathize and connect with their kids. Um, another one is... Um, uh, this kind of, uh, I'll go to the other extreme, and that's the rejecting parent. And the rejecting parent is frankly somebody that should never have had kids. I mean, they didn't want kids. They don't like kids. They don't want to be around kids. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, go away, don't bother me. Um, they really don't have much interest in their children. And uh, as one person told me, she said, it's, it's like I'm, I'm, running toward a door that slammed in my face. 
Oh. And that was the, you know, the, the tone of her relationship with her rejecting dad. Um, and then the fourth one is what I call the passive parent. And this is often uh, the favorite parent because they are very kind of laid back. They, they can be um, fun loving. They can be like a big kid themselves. Um, they can be they can be superficially warm and superficially nurturing, but when it comes right down to it, they don't take up for that kid, mm-hmm. and they don't show the kind of empathy for the kid that mobilizes them to protect them or to help them talk about their feelings or step in in any substantive way. So even though they aren't um, really doing anything bad to the kid, and sometimes they're the most connected parent, they're just not able, because of their immaturity, they're just not able to really be a, a good parent, and they don't, they don't keep the emotional loyalty going to the point where they actually can be a protective parent. Right. And it seems so those like... Are the, those are the, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it seems like, uh, you know, as you were describing the passive parent, you know, I've heard um, from some people where you could have, you have two parents maybe in your household and one is emotional and the other one's the passive. And so you're dealing with yeah. <laughs> the same where maybe mom is the one who just kind of like lets the water flow off her back, you know, doesn't rock right. the boat while dad is driven or the emotional, you know, personality type. Um, and Right. Right. And, and so, and it's possible even one parent can be a little bit of all of these things. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we can all, I mean, certainly, uh, in our culture, um, we, we can all be, uh, driven, (laughs) you know, one, one way or another. And yeah, you can have parts of these characteristics, but when they get more toward the extreme, I think that's when, that's when you can see. Uh, the different types starting to sort of chunk out, as you said. Yeah. And in your book, um, for everyone listening, um, you actually break down kind of a quiz that the reader can take to kind of figure out where their parent may have landed. If, if they mm-hmm. are listening here and are feeling like, hey, this might be something that actually is starting to make sense to me. Um, and so, again, if you get the book, you can actually see, you know, several questions that Dr. Gibson has that you can check off and go, yeah, my parent. And you might, like I did, find. Yeah characteristics in all of them, but you're saying the dominant one will kind of bubble up to the surface. Um, yeah, they do. They do tend to clump. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you have also a, a, this process that you called the maturity awareness approach, which I guess is having this recognition of, of what you're dealing with and having a way of improving that relationship with that person that I imagine happened when you had those aha moments with your clients, when they were like, you really might not be the problem here. This could actually be your parent. So let's help figure out how to relate to them. So can you describe what this maturity awareness approach looks like? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, um, you know, the, the, title of it uh, is the is the first thing that if you understand that you're dealing with an issue of maturity or lack thereof that orients you to the situation Um, and then you want to with these kind of parents because they live their life through emotion they you know they may be very intellectual they may be good business people whatever but they don't live their life through thinking. They live their life through emotional reactivity. 
And if you just scratch the surface, you'll see that, the way that they make some of their decisions or how they react to um, uh, the people around them, you, you begin to see that. So if you become aware of the issue being their emotional immaturity, you can step back and become more of a thinker about this. You can become more observational. Like I encourage people to pretend that they are an anthropologist um, <laughs> watching a new tribe when they go home for Thanksgiving <laughs> because that gives you this place to stand outside of the family system and you don't have to be cued into your old roles and your old rescue fantasies. Um, you can actually just watch what they're doing and apply the stuff that you have read about in the book. And once you are doing that, you can approach them in a way where you're not trying to um, you're not trying to engage them and get them to be the parent that you always wanted them to be. That's what people get really tied up in. They have these healing fantasies about, you know, oh, if I could only communicate, you know, clearly enough, my parent would see it. And then they would be able to meet me where I am and we could have a good relationship. But you really don't get far doing that because the parent is afraid of emotional intimacy. They really aren't, um, they aren't attracted to that and it scares them. They don't know how to deal with really deep emotion. So a couple of things that I uh, suggest that people try to do is be yourself, express yourself, say what you want to say uh, in as respectful and neutral a way as you can, and then let it go. In other words, you're not expecting anything from them. You're not uh, doing anything except accepting where they're at. Mm -hmm. But you do get to be yourself. You do get to express yourself. And the other one is, in any interaction that you're going into with an emotionally immature person, you better know what you want the outcome to be. Um, that helps to keep you outside of their system that will draw you in and have it be all about you meeting their needs. So outcome focus is extremely important. And remember that you're having an interaction with them. Each interaction should have its, its goal, its outcome. You're not trying to have a good relationship with them. If you do that, you will scare them. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> so you want to meet them uh, with what they can tolerate, express yourself, focus on the outcome, and you want to manage it. You want to be the leader in the relationship, not keep trying to engage them at an emotional level that they can't handle themselves. Right, because they're so trying to... Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I was going to say, because they ultimately are trying to uh, control the outcome for them, you know, and they'll and they're they, trying to get their needs met. Right, yeah. Right. And their needs mean they think their needs are that they need to be the center of your concern and attention. And it always comes back to that. So that's the that's the dynamic that you're you are stepping out of when you are aware of their maturity level and you're focused on the outcome and you're not getting emotionally reactive with them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's easier said than done. Cause I, I admit oh, I yeah. have been baited into the <laughs> tit for tat, you know, but then again, you know, what's encouraging is once this, the, like you said, the, you know, the penny drops or the light switch comes on, once you know, your life changes, uh, you know, it's because you yeah. can't unlearn what you just figured out. And it, you're the second yeah. person that I've talked to that's mentioned Thanksgiving. So it's going to be exciting for a lot of people at Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> When they go home, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um, and I do. It's the great of it being like observing a tribe, you know, from the outside there. Um, yeah, it, it feels yeah. better. Yeah, <laughs> it's empowering. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, so you and I talked originally like over a month ago, and then we had to schedule this interview out several weeks because you were working on editing your new book, and so you have a follow up to this. So I'd love for you to talk about like what your next what your next book is on this topic. Sure. Yeah, um, the next book is um, titled "Recovering from Emotionally Immature Parents." And this book is, it, it's a combination of two things. One is that it has a lot more um, practical tools that you can learn to um, uh, be able to interact with them more effectively and to your, um, to your health and benefit. So it's a lot of practical advice, a lot of here's what you can say, here's what to do, that kind of, of tool-based approach, which a lot of people, having read the first book, had contacted me for help with. Mm -hmm. um, the second part is that I go a lot more deeply into the nature of the system that gets set up between you and an emotionally immature person. Now, this was kind of new material um, that was fascinating um, to see what's really going on and be able to uh, see how it affected your relationship with yourself your self-image, your ability to be active on your own behalf. So it, it it's both a practical book and I would say an even deeper psychological book. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I, I think that it'll be the perfect sequel to this one. Awesome. And then when do you think it's going to be published and ready to, to buy? It will be, it will be released in May, 2019. Okay. Okay. So what I was suggesting is we do a Thanksgiving special if it was coming out later <laughs> and get everybody ready for Thanksgiving dinner with their families by reviewing it. So, but I, you know, if you're available, I might have like a refresher course on how to handle the holidays with your, with your family. So that then. sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lindsay, Dr. Gibson, I don't know. What do you prefer, Lindsay or Dr. Gibson? Oh, either one's fine. Okay. I, I have the belief that if, you know, they don't hand out, you know, doctorates to just anybody. So if you've earned it and you want to be called doctor, I am totally okay with that. So, um, <laughs> but I, uh, this has been amazing. And I, again, like I said earlier, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to be able to talk with me and for the listeners to be able to, to hear more about, you know, what you've been doing and the work that you have. Um, do you have a website that people can visit to get more information from? Yes, um, that would be Dr. Lindsay Gibson. That's D R L I N D S A Y G I B S O N dot com. And there's, uh, there are articles on there and there's a, a blog, which is terribly out of date because of working on this other book, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's there. <laughs> yeah, so that is available. And then you also are a monthly contributor to Tidewater Mag, Tidewater for Women, right? An online magazine. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's actually called um, TidewaterWomen.com. Okay. Uh, there's a an online site for that, and I I publish articles there uh, once a month. 
Cool. And I'll, I'll have all the links for everybody that's listening. Those will be published in the, in the podcast description in the notes. So oh, great. If nobody jotted these down. So, um, anyways, this has been amazing. And again, I appreciate you, um, you being on one broken mom with me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I hope that, um, you know, our conversation will, will be a help to people out there who have been struggling with this kind of nameless uh, problem. And I appreciate so much you having me on so that we could get it out there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueerconing.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.